Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. And it came from a woman who said, I need to figure out how I can get my husband to practice your tools. Now, the truth of the matter is, Neither she nor I can get him to practice the skills in my book, Help Her Heal. He has to want to do that. And I am so sorry. I am so sorry that he is not willing to help her heal. And eventually he may be, so, he may be ready. But there's not anything she can do other than to set some consequences that keeps her safe. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean she has to be able to say, okay, you don't respect me. You're not willing to help me heal. And you've done this to me. And I love you, but I'm going to keep myself safe. I want us to live separately. Or... I want you to stay in the basement. I'm going to be in the bedroom. Or we are no longer going out in public and going to church and looking like we're a happy family when you have devastated me and you aren't there for me. I'm not no longer going to do that. I am going to create my own life. I mean, she has to decide what are the consequences. So that's how I would answer that. And for my single sex addicts, you know, what I know to be true is that you have to want to change for you. That no amount of um, coercing from anybody, from from your parents, from your siblings, from your fellowship, nobody can do that. You have to be ready to change. Now, I know that this is a very devastating illness. There's like no other. But when you really get it and you want to change, I promise you, you will be you will be 99.9% healthier than men out there that don't have this condition. Doesn't that feel good to think, wow, I can be better than men out there who don't have this condition. The truth of the matter is that when you learn the recovery tools, then you are able to liberate yourself from something that is 
that has been strangling you forever. And that's why it's so important to when you finally make the commitment to change, that you seek the support of people around you that have been there and done that. I am all the time telling my clients, if you aren't part of a group, I want you to become part of a group. You know, I want you to have fellowship. I don't want you to do this on your own. Why? Because this is hard. I think you've heard me say before, if you've heard the show, that Patrick Carnes says that this is the hardest addiction to beat. And Patrick Carnes is the guru of sex addiction. He wrote the Green Book with some help from his friends. He started 12-step meetings for his sex addicts. Calls him SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. And he also said that in his many, 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 many years of practice, you know, and he's worked in many a facility, he started many a facility, he, he was instrumental in getting General Path started out there in Wickenburg, Arizona, which is part of the Meadows. Um, he says he's never met one man that could do it by himself. And that's why this show is here. It's to help you heal. It is to show you that you can do it. And that is so very important. Important because you are held hostage by this disease. And it's time for you to find the treatment that will work, that will free you and liberate you from this addiction. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets. Yes, I am. Carol, the coach. And I know that I feel so good of you and your loved ones and the opportunities Why do I feel so good? Because I'm telling you, I know you can do it. I know that you can make your life different if you will, and I mean this, follow the 10 recovery tools. Oh, I sound like a broken record, don't I? And those are simple, but they do take enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of going you know I want to go to my group I want to talk about my life I want to find other people that are dealing with this I want a mentor you know the 10 tools are to go to meetings no matter what they are go to meetings SAA Sex Addicts Anonymous SA Sexaholics Anonymous um, Men of the Battle Recovery Nation, get yourself to those meetings and find yourself a sponsor or a mentor, somebody who's got a lot of recovery time. Why? Because they will help you on this journey so that you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. And then you've got to read the books that the program advocates You know, SAA, it's the green book, SA, it's the white book. Um, And do that internal work. That's step number four. You've got to do the work, whatever that is. And each program has steps to get you through the work. And then I want you to have a big old list of people that you can call day or night. You know, I got guys who go, I would never call somebody at 2 in the morning. But the truth of the matter is there might be somebody who works a night shift, the post office, um, works at Target, stocking. So I truly believe that our higher power puts people in our, our way 
They drop people down and to help us when we're lost. So, um, you know, here's what I know. If you follow those first five steps, you're on your way. Now, the next five steps are to go to a CSAT. That's a certified sex addiction therapist. That's me. That's somebody who's been trained, somebody who knows the ropes, somebody who's not going to tell you, well, you know, this is a moral failure and shame on you and get your act together and pray a little harder. That's not what you want to hear. And then if you can get yourself into a sex addicts group, a therapy group, wow, that's amazing. And then this next one, there are three parts, but you only have to do one, and that's pray, meditate, or journal. Now, I'm going to ask you, if you're out there listening and you are, um, you're thinking, ay, 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 you know, I used to meditate or I used to journal and I kind of fell off the wagon. I haven't done that in a while. Please, please, please hold yourself accountable and get back on the wagon, right? I just went to a three-day meditative retreat to become an MBAT. And I know you probably heard Darren Ford about, oh, maybe four weeks ago talking about this program. Oh, my gosh, his story is so amazing. And he has been through so much abuse and been through so much turmoil. And I mean, this guy's got it together. And he is teaching mindfulness because he really believes like, he believes that I do too, that an addict's brain needs to rest. And that you're much more in touch with your higher power and with your intuition when you rest. Right? Okay. And so I'm curious as to what it is that you need to do more of. Pray, meditate, or journal. That's what I want to know. Okay. And what I believe to be true is that when you do at least one of those things, you're really replenishing your mind, your body, and your soul. Now, the next thing has to do with reading good books on sex addiction, compulsive problematic sexual behavior, What are those books? I'm not going to tell you. I want you to look at Amazon and pull up sex addiction and then look at the book that speaks to you. There are some Bibles. There are. Several of them have been written by Patrick Carnes and and, uh, Dr. Milt Magnus has some good ones. Um, Rob Weiss has some good ones. But just find one that really speaks to you and and read it because what you need to understand is that this is a brain disorder. This is a brain problem. It's not your genitalia. It's your brain. And then create some accountability tools. That's, That's so important. That's tool number 10, accountability tools. Get yourself a filtering system. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, take some polygraphs. You know, when you take polygraphs and you think, I can't act out because I'm going to get busted because I can't lie out of this, it helps you in your early recovery. And by early recovery, I mean years one, two, or three. All right. I go over the 10 tools at least five times a year because I want you to know what they are. Now, I'm excited. I'm really excited because I read this incredible book that was both a memoir, but it was so educational. And this woman knew so much, so much about sex addiction education. And she actually asked me to endorse the book, which, of course, I said yes. I hadn't read a book that well done in a long time. And her name is Kelly Ibarra. And she has written this memoir about rebuilding and forgiveness after complex sexual betrayal. 
both educates the reader about partner betrayal and complex post-traumatic stress, and also about sex addiction. And then she shares her journey, and I mean, it's just an amazing journey. So I wanted to have her on the show. The book was just released, as I understand it, perhaps last week. We'll have to check in with her. And I wanted her to be able to share her story with you because it is so good and it is so educational. Whether you're an addict or a partner, you're going to get so much out of it. And so I'm super excited to be introducing Deeply Troubled, Radically Forgiven. I love the name of that book. Let me say it one more time. Deeply Troubled, Radically Forgiven. And uh, it is just an amazing memoir and an educational tool as well. So I am so excited to welcome Kelly. Kelly, welcome to Sex Health with Carol the Coach. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Well, yes, and, you know, I want our listening audience to know everything about you and about your story and your journey. And so tell us, did the book get released, was it last week? Yeah, yep. it just got released, I believe it was like last Tuesday, um, so hot off the press and <laughs> right on Amazon. So super excited, it kind of feels surreal seeing it up there. Yeah, I bet. And how does it feel? To have this book completed. Honestly, there's just so many parts of me that show up for that question. Um, There's a part of me that's super excited because there were many years in this voyage where I didn't even know if my relationship was going to make it, um, let alone that I was going to be able to write a book about what had happened in the course of my life and my husband and also relationships. So it's just a great joy that I'm able to look at that and really hear and see the journey that God has led us on and know um, just how much better we are for it. Like this is one of those things that I don't think anybody ever wishes for, hopes for, um, or can plan for, uh, but there has definitely been some jewels that have come out of the brokenness that we have faced. But I'm also, you know, really nervous and vulnerable um, that out there, I mean, it's a pouring out of my heart, like it's our story, um, and while there's many lessons to be learned and good things and healing agents within it, it's also very tough, you know, the struggles that we went through are very real, you know, they're not over, and so we're still facing, you know, so many of those residual challenges on a daily basis, so I want this story to be impactful, I want people to benefit, but I also worry, right? Like I worry about the transparency and being so bold in terms of all the details, right? Like the good, the bad, and the ugly and just kind of letting it be out there. But for the main reason that we're just average people, you know, like this can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a counselor. It doesn't matter how much money you make um, in your career, right? Like sex addiction and partner betrayal trauma, just happens to everyday people. And I think you can really see that in our story. Oh, absolutely. And I've got to say, you know, as I was reading the book, you basically said, this is a book I will never write. And, and then God yeah. kept tugging at your heartstrings. And so what compelled you to write it? Um, I want to hear all mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, so originally when I started writing, I mean, I was 21, right? Like, I was just a young girl, um, not really a lot of experience with relationships or knowing um, what to expect in a secure relationship. So as I was writing, I just originally started to put down my thoughts and experiences, not journaling, not really with any intention, outside of trying to remember the craziness that I remember feeling. Um, it was hard to articulate and put into words. And I remember so many times just going to church, and I was a new believer in this process. I was trying to figure out what I felt in my relationship with God. Um, 
I talk about that in the book in terms of how I stumbled into God and how my, you know, husband now had used that as a tool of manipulation, but it ultimately led me to being able to forgive and grow in a relationship, which is just completely mind-blowing to me how God can work, even in the most broken of places. But I remember just going to them and explaining the things that I was dealing with, and they would give me these responses like I'm supposed to submit and just love my husband and follow his commands, all while knowing in my heart that I could not do that, right, because he was praising a God that I didn't believe in. His words spoke the right messaging, but his behavior was so contrary to what the world saw. So I would write these things down just to remember, right, and that I'm not crazy, that this isn't me just making things up. Like I was going through something that I didn't even have a name for yet. And then as I continued to go through this experience, um, God started telling me, one day you're going to use this. You're going to write this. You guys are going to get through this. And I just remember being like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't even know if I trust you, let alone that I'm going to do all these things for you. Um, but I just remember laughing. Like, but I kept getting this feeling like I'm supposed to do this. And so over time, just in my own experience, I was really struggling to find books and stories of other people who had managed these waters successfully and ended up still staying together. Like, I could hardly find anything. It was about people who left and why they left for all good reasons. Um, but it was just heartbreaking for me because I so badly wanted to love him through this, wanted to love our relationship enough that we could be that exception. And it took so much out of me to get <laughs> to that point where I was not only supporting his recovery, but also recognizing that I had my own. I remember just being young and going to one of these first 12-step meetings, and I walk in as a partner, and they're like, you know, you have, you have to go through all this traumatic stuff, right, to be able to be in this relationship, and I didn't even recognize it at the time. Like, my upbringing to me was so normal. Um, I never coded it as trauma. Um, I just thought that this is what people went through. So it took me a long time to digest and heal from the fact that this didn't just start with me. You know, there were things that I had went through um, that had kind of shaped my template for what felt normal and what felt safe, not by any, you know, inherent um, or, uh, uh, like, direct harm from my family. They were doing the best that they could, um, but it really shaped my attachment patterns, which caused me to have many issues as it related to my relationship with Chris. And so even when things started to come out, um, Chris would just summarize it as like just corn and you know, gaslight and um, deny and give me little bits of truth and meet me back in. And it was just the most traumatic experience for 10 years, right? Like nine years of my life. Um, so it was really painful. And so I felt this like pressure, right, to kind of figure out how to heal and how to heal quickly. And so as time went on, I just kept writing and just letting God kind of take control of the pen. And there are so many times where I just stopped because um, I didn't even know what I was going to write about. You know, I, I mentioned that in the book. I wanted to write a book about you know, radical healing and there being this magic solution. But the truth of the matter is there isn't one, you know. And so my story became more of my journey through this and how God held the light, you know, to point me back home to him which also saved our marriage and helped us both heal um, in our individual recovery. So the reality is our story is super messy. <laughs> we will always have a long road ahead, but it's honest. And it talks about all the lessons from our skin needs. Um, and I just want this book to really speak to the fact that even if your heart has been shot up with you know, gunshot wounds every single day for you know, five, six, seven, eight years, it's not too late to heal for you, your loved one, or your relationship. I think that with God, all things are possible. Well, absolutely. And, you know, obviously you had a lot of um, considerations to contemplate before you made the ultimate decision to write the book. And and so if you had to... um, share with us what your husband thought 
about you writing it mm-hmm. and also having it published. What would you say the take-home was there? What was his mm-hmm. greatest concern or his greatest belief about this book? Yeah, that's such an important question because I think as partners, we so much want to protect our beloved. You know, we want to protect our families. We don't want to do things that are going to hurt them or send them into shame. But we also know that healing comes from sharing our story. And so finding that balance can be so difficult. And so I think at first um, he wasn't well, you know, when I started writing. So he didn't believe, right, that this was going to be a thing, that we were going to actually do this. I remember telling him, like, we're going to you know, be one of those couples where we actually talk about how God did this for us, and he would just kind of laugh at me. Um, and it's funny, kind of looking back, I can laugh now, too, because we were just so on different pages. And as he saw kind of God filling these pages and sharing my heart as I wrote and shared things with him, I think his ultimate fear, you know, was just people not seeing him for who he was he is, um, only seeing like the monster, right, that addiction resembles, um, and, and his fear that like maybe these negative core beliefs sort of function throughout his life, you know, might really be true. You know, he was scared that it would take him under again and the ramifications of that. So he wanted to protect like his sobriety, his recovery. He wanted to protect the family, the good intended, you know, and so now that everything's said and done and he's really had a voice in this and he knows that this isn't a book about me calling him out on, you know, all of the awful things he's done or his addict has done, but rather it's a book of healing, right, and, and how we learn from those experiences by acknowledging, you know, that they happened. I think he's really, really in a good place about it. He's encouraged. He's excited. You know, I don't think necessarily he wants to get on the radio himself <laughs> maybe his memoir. Right. Um, but he definitely supports, you know, my journey in this and that of a coupleship and finds this really healing. So it's exciting to see that from him. Well, I bet. And that is, again, that shows that, you know, God is working with you both and through you both. Um, tell me a little bit about, the stumbling stones, and the crucial elements of your healing. I mean, you say very clearly that you had some transformational healing that occurred um, as a result of your choices to get through this and later on to forgive. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's hard to put into words, um, just how hard it is to recover from this kind of betrayal. You know, it's not one thing. It's so many series of things. And for me, the acting out happened in so many different capacities. Nothing felt safe. Um, So I think what made feeling really difficult in my story was oftentimes just us being in two different stages of healing. Um, We struggled for a very, very long time with surrendering. Um, he really wanted to keep his protectors, right? Like, they felt pretty good um, in terms of keeping him alive for most of his life. And that put me in a stage of constant crisis, never really knowing what was real, what was coming, um, or that I could get the answers that I needed from my husband. You know, addicts are really good at hiding um, and creating a, a story around all of their behaviors. So it took me a long time to really process what was happening versus what he was telling me. Um, The other things that kind of made uh, healing pretty difficult um, was deciding, like, who I could share my story with. Because for a long time, you know, there was a a lot of division, right? Like, I was so afraid that if I told somebody my story, they would just tell me to leave. And that's not what I needed to hear. You know, I, I wanted somebody to tell me, like, how to get through it, how to you know, stick by, how to love somebody who, I don't know, you love somebody like Jesus, right? Like, that didn't necessarily deserve it, right? But that I'm called to do that for, right? Like, I'm supposed to resemble God's character despite the circumstances in my life, despite, you know, whatever struggles might be happening, because that's what he wants me to be as a vessel of hope. And that's so hard, 
you know, when you're in this deep pain, that oftentimes the person struggling with the compulsive sexual behavior, at least early on, can't even acknowledge, right? Like they're so wrapped up into their own deception, they don't know, you know, truth from fantasy, let alone have the empathy to really give to you, which makes it even harder. You know, I would cry and I would explain why I'm in so much pain, and he would tell me just to, you know, suck it up. Like, he wasn't making me stay in the relationship. He wasn't even asking me to stay. And that was the case for a very long time, you know. But I had my own reasons, some healthy, some not, of why I stood by in those stages. But ultimately, like, God was able to use that, right, to help me with my own emotional regulation and not to be so responsive and reactive. Um, to every little cue that might be interpreted by my brain as dangerous or threatening. So the other thing that makes healing really difficult, too, is just the idea of how long the recovery process is. Um, I, I've had to really grieve, right, the losses of what I imagined our relationship to be, um, that there's going to be some sort of end point, right, where we're washed clean and baptized, you know, by the water and we come out just totally different. Um, there's been a lot of big changes in our life, but there's this scar, you know, that addiction leaves. There's these lingering um, issues that keep popping up, right? I mean, things as, things as simple as, you know, relationships and boundaries with conversations with other women and really being accountable in terms of, um, developing intimacy with men, right? Like appropriate intimacy. So it's just a different, I don't know, just a different kind of relationship in that way. I mean, all good things, but I got things that are just more intentionally planned for. But there's an opportunity and a gift as well, you know, because without this, we might not have ever kind of traveled down that path um, to have those important conversations which have really enriched our marriage. Mm-hmm. And can I ask you, obviously, I talk a lot about post-traumatic stress and even complex post-traumatic stress, which obviously are those wounds that you may have experienced as a child if you were molested or neglected or abused, and then on top of it, the betrayal occurs. That's complex post-traumatic stress. Um, when you reference complex betrayal, help our listening audience to know clinically what that means to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I'm referencing that, I'm talking about the fact that there's a pattern of repetitive behavior. And for me, there's these big T and little T issues, right? Like there's these big trauma things that he continued to do with his acting out. Predominantly for me, that was massage parlors, affairs, sexting other women, inappropriate conversations, and they were repetitive, like they kept happening. And then there was this relational betrayal, right? So the relational betrayal piece being when confronted, when asked questions that kind of look me in the eye and just lie to me, like flat out, or to no kind of empathy or regard for what I was saying and just completely shut me out and brush me off. And so that complex trauma um, it, it went on for years, right? Like there wasn't a thief, there wasn't a way of escaping. And as a result, like it left my body, like a body, I don't know, like a, a minefield, um, like constantly, like I couldn't even walk down a street without being jumpy and jittery. Um, I would look at, like when I would walk into a restaurant, I'd look around and just try to identify like all the potential threats and people that my husband might objectify that it might take the place of whatever time I had with him. And so it's all these things that add up where the world just becomes completely unsafe and you don't even know, you know, exactly in the beginning kind of what all the triggers are because there's just so many of them. They just flood you. And, and so for you, the triggers that you felt were what? Included what? Mm-hmm trying to even (laughs) summarize all of them. Um, I really struggled to even be around people that seem to be in secure relationships. Um, Any kind of act of physical affection would make me want to run away. 
um, just knowing that I didn't feel safe in my own relationship. I always questioned like if things were pure, if my husband would tell him to give me a hug or brush my arm, like I would flinch and try to run away. Um, I had a lot of fleeing and aggressive kind of behavior. Like he would say something as simple as, um, how was your day? And like the tone of it or the lack of emotional expression would drive me just into my cycle um, or more so than not, just that lack of connection, like just sitting around each other and not engaging, right? Even though I would want to engage and I would try to engage, just kind of that shutout, that, that emotional anorexia um, that was so prevalent in, in our relationship. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, how do you get that back? How do you get um, intimacy back into a relationship when there has been so much emotional and, uh, mm-hmm. well, emotional anorexia? How, how did you yeah. build that? How do couples heal? Mm-hmm. Well, the sexuality piece, the intimacy piece is, you know, one part of a bigger picture. And for us, that was the piece that was ultimately the hardest, the piece that we still are working on even today. You know, there were long periods of time where even when we did get into physicality and getting into that bedroom, like there were just so many triggers that we couldn't even relax. Like constantly thinking about, you know, what is the other person thinking and is this safe? Are we in the right headspace? And so what really helped to heal that for me Um, is taking sex completely off the table. So we went, you know, a a fairly long time where we just started from the ground up, like just being around each other, not having distractions, learning space touch again, letting our bodies respond the way that felt normal without judgment. So when he would touch me and I would jump, like we worked in that space instead of fighting against it. Um, we also did a lot of our own individual therapy and couples therapy around that. I can't speak highly enough about EMDR and just what that does in terms of being able to allow your body to feel what it needs to feel and all the things that you restricted yourself from for whatever reason um, in the past. That was extremely, extremely healing for me. And EFT was great for our coupleship. Um, just learning to hear each other and to give each other like that positive intention, right? And understanding it from an attachment lens of why we do what we do and not necessarily that we're trying to hurt one another. So we had to practice very intentionally, right? Like setting time aside during the week just to be with one another, just to learn how to get this back. And over time, I think those things um, kind of morphed into, like, yes, there's still vulnerable areas. We're still trying to, I think, really master courtship. It's, it's been an ongoing battle in terms of what my needs are for courtship and his needs are and how we respond to that. But it's these things that lead up to intimacy, that lead up, you know, to physicality in the bedroom and sexuality. So really just kind of starting over um, and taking our time with it. You know, I had to really learn that I could trust him um, to be in a good headspace and tell me when he wasn't. I had to be able to see that he could say no, you know, to the, to the wrong things and right to the yes things. So when a situation came up where he had an opportunity to go to the bar with a group of people from work, you know, I needed him to be able to say no, knowing that nighttime is a prime trigger for us, being around alcohol is not safe, <laughs> right? Like, we had to figure out what worked for us and really be able to see one another take ownership and accountability around that. Well, and I definitely believe that um, it's a slow progress. It's, it's a slow process. And at the same time, I think there are sometimes um, milestones that you meet or pass when you say, my gosh, we are healing. He is doing better. He does mean this. I can see the recovery. This feels good. This feels comfortable. It feels new. And so did you have a moment like that when you knew that you really were on the road to relationship repair? 
Yeah, there are several. Um, I remember the first time we were in some sort of altercation, verbal altercation around a trigger, and he looked at me and said, because my response typically was along the lines of, well, you obviously don't care if I might as well just leave or I might as well just kind of get going. Like I wanted him to fight for me, but I was doing it in a way that, that wasn't the healthiest. I wasn't articulating clearly like what my need was. And I remember him looking at me and him saying, Kelly, I want you to be here, but I'm not going to beg you to be here. And I am going to get better with or without you because this is for me now. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> all these years, and he's finally sitting here. Like, I didn't care about anything else at that point. Like, he was in it for him. And he was going to group because he wanted to. He was going to therapy and finding, like, the right therapist for him because he wanted to. Like, he was committed. He wanted us to start couples therapy. He pushed for everything to happen and really fall into place. And so the other thing that I witnessed was, when I would have my triggers, you know, instead of him kind of brushing me off and being very um, aggressive with me, he started to say things like, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so sorry that I put you in a place where you have to feel this. Um, When I would have my nightmares, he would comfort me. He wouldn't judge it. He would tell me to hurry up and heal. He would just let it be and just kind of sit in that space. And sometimes he didn't even have to say anything. He just let me cry like he just let me be upset I mean right like there's boundaries to how we express that we're upset but as long as I was regulated and in a place where I was just trying to get through that like he provided me that co-regulation which was something so um, overdue like something my soul so needed from even a child like that little girl in me right just needing somebody to just sit in it And it really opened up a whole new level of intimacy for us because it helped me to see like the real Chris, right? The, the Chris that I fell in love with that, that is there, that is real, you know, behind all these years and all these masks, like he, he does exist. (laughs) And so I've seen a lot more of that, you know, as his recovery has progressed. I mean, obviously we still have days where that can you know, go into a ditch and we can fall back into old patterns. But overall, you know, it's a totally different way that I'm experiencing my relationship with him. And it helps me to have that empathy back for him. Well, I can really, really appreciate that because I do believe a woman's intuition is very, very good. And when sexual betrayal occurs, you start to doubt whether you can trust yourself. And as you heal and he heals and he does the work and the two of you compromise and negotiate and work through things, you can begin to restore that sense of self and that intuition again. And you go, I like what I'm seeing and I like who I'm with. And this is maybe even a better man than I had before when I didn't know that he had a dual life, mm-hmm. you know, definitely. So that's what I love about Absolutely. your book. Your book is so good at sharing the memoir and educating the public. Um, who do you find reads your book? Is it the partner? Is it the addict? Both of them. Mm-hmm. I designed the book in the beginning, right, for the partner. But as I wrote it, I really wrote it for the system because the reality is, right, like there's three legs of the stool. (laughs) And oftentimes we see the partner doing their work, the individual struggling with the compulsive sexual behavior doing theirs, and then the coupleship being neglected, right? Both people are doing awesome in their own individual things, but there's no merge. And so as I was writing the book, I wanted my, um, I was thinking like in terms of my clients, right? Like who would read this book and what would they get out of it? And so I wanted the people who were struggling with a compulsive behavior to read this book and really have empathy, um, from the lens of the person that maybe they hurt or the people that they've hurt, um, when they weren't well. And then I wanted to really validate for the partner, their story, right? Because even though all of our stories are a little bit different, we share common elements. And it's so healing, at least in my experience, just to hear other people kind of echo that I'm not alone, right? Like when I'm an unraveled 
messy, sobbing, angry monster, right? Because my triggers are overtaking me and I'm just losing all sense of my upper brain, right? And someone else tells me, yeah, me too, sister. You know, sometimes I'm like that too. It just makes me feel so good that I'm not alone, that I'm not, that I'm not fighting this battle in isolation because early on, that's what it feels like. It just feels like you're living in an island that no one else knows exists. And for the coupleship, right, like I wanted to show a story of healing, like a true version with not all the pretty rainbows and flowers, right, but like the real heart work that goes into making um, marriages and relationships last long term in this space. And so in that last chapter, you know, I added that on at the very end where I wrote the letter to the sex addict in early recovery, just really challenging them to think about the barriers and the resistance to doing this work, right? I mean, what's at stake and what's real and what's not? Because this book talks about what's real, right? Your, your partner talks about what's real. And so I hope that that message can be valuable on all sides of this continuum. Yeah, well, that's what I absolutely thought. You know, I know that, Women read books on sex addiction to better understand their husbands. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading this, I could tell it was for the partner, but I also thought, you know, this would be a, a book that a man could pick up and get very involved in because it not only shows him what she's going through, but it also, I felt like, was, it created a lot of hope that any couple mm-hmm. can repair as long as they're willing to do the work. Now, you know, I'm an APSAP, and that means that, you know, I'm a partner-sensitive therapist. I'm also a CSAT. And what I know to be true is that a partner does not have to forgive. A partner does not have to stay together. Um, it's really her decision. But the majority mm-hmm. of partners that I work with do stay together. And so this book was so proactive about, you know, what you need to do to create that healing. And so as we begin to wrap up, Kelly, can you share um, what piece of advice you would give for somebody who's just reeling from the discovery of her husband's sex addiction? Mm. Yeah, I mean, even as you say those words, like, it just... It hits me, you know, like it was yesterday. Like that just stays with you, those moments. But I would say the most important thing for someone just entering in to what's next after disclosure of any kind of what this might be is to create a team because we're going to, you're going to need it, (laughs) right? We all need that team. We need a good therapist. We need a good group of women or men just to hold us accountable and hold our hand as we wrestle with the waves of this you know, vicious sea at times. We need doctors on standby, right? Because our emotions just can go all over the place for rightful reasons. We need allies, you know, people that are really going to unite around us and and things that are going to fill us spiritually, wholeheartedly, right? Because there's not one area of our life that this doesn't affect. Like it affects everything from our mental, sexual, spiritual behavior, you know, our plans or what we think we're capable of for life. So the more that we invest into ourselves early on, I think the better our outcome. I don't think we can have enough support um, because early on we, we're still learning. We're still trying to understand. And, and every person's kind of acting out behavior and marriage looks so different, right? So the more resources we have, the more we can create a plan that works best for the relationship dynamics that we find ourselves facing. Yeah, that's very good advice. And, you know, what I believe is that anybody who reads your book is going to get so much out of it, both from a clinical understanding to an empathetic, oh, my gosh, I felt the same way kind of perspective. And then, again, the fact that you do, do talk about that journey of your healing as a couple and Personally, it's, it's just an amazing book. Now, I want to remind everybody um, that I am talking with Kelly Ibera, and she has written this incredible book and is called Deeply Troubled, Radically Forgiven. And 
what I love about it is that it really is an opportunity to trust yourself through the process the way Kelly did. You know, this is a memoir about rebuilding and forgiveness after complex sexual betrayal. And I would encourage you all to go out and get this book. Now, I know they can find it on Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. And it, is it on your website? Nope. Currently, it's just on Amazon. Okay, well, I want to let everybody know, as she indicated earlier, Kelly is a licensed professional counselor and a certified sex addiction therapist. She's one of us. And um, we've got a lot of counselors and coaches that listen to the show, Kelly, so I hope they'll get your book, too. Um, she is a safe EMDR-trained clinical therapist, and so am I. I love that certification of EMDR. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I don't know if your future includes other books, but I want to tell you, this is probably one of the best memoirs I have ever read from anybody in my life. And obviously that's why I so believe in you and getting this getting this out there. Um, if people want to work with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so the best way to reach me, you can either find me online on Psychology Today or I um, am also at Sellers and Associates um, where you can also find our location in Grand Rapids and in Holland. Very good. Well, I know we cannot work across state lines as clinical therapists, so um, you have to live in Michigan to be able to work with her because you're not a coach, right? You don't have that designation where you can work anywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, I encourage you to read her book because it's, it's as if you're in therapy with her. Wouldn't you agree, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. That's very kind. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this book. Thank you for, you know, your contribution to this field. And I just can see great things ahead for you and your, your husband and, um, He's a brave soul, too, and so please Mm -hmm. pass on our appreciation of him also, would you? Will do. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome, and you take care. Make it a great week. You as well. All right. Thank you. You Uh Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, Kelly Ibera, who wrote the book, Deeply Troubled, Radically Forgiven, and it's a memoir about rebuilding and forgiveness after complex sexual betrayal. Very hopeful, very inspiring, um, amazing, as my, my sister would say, amazing. I mean, just with that long A, and she's not even Southern. Um, Hey, guys, thank you so much for being here um, tonight. And I just look forward to so many more shows with you. We will talk to you soon, as I say at the end of every show. And I know he's listening right now. I quizzed him on this. He and his partner, I said, okay, what do I say at the end of every show? Because it was the end of our session. And he said, there will only be one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself because come on now that's all we can be it's all about honesty openness transparency and humility here with sex help with carol the coach see you next week